When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Hello, Naked Scientist. Oh, hello, Naked Broadcaster. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. We've got very English weather here in Jersey today. It's a little bit chilly. Funnily enough, I've got very English weather here. Why do we always start this programme talking about the weather? It's a good topic, though, isn't it? It's freezing here. Really, really, really cold. It didn't go above zero all day yesterday. <laughs> and uh, I was driving around in Cambridge, and the lakes and things and the ponds and the river frozen over. It's, it's perishing. Well, maybe I should ask you for our first question. You are the clever one. Why, why is the weather a favoured small chat topic? Well, I think if you think about how do humans interact, we're a social species, we like chatting to each other, but we need to become familiar with each other. Yes. Something we all experience is the environment in which we live. And one thing we are all guaranteed to have some kind of opinion on is <laughs> what's the weather like where you live? Because people have to have some kind of weather wherever they live, unless <laughs> they live in space, true. in which case they have space weather. And then it would again be a topic of conversation. So I think it's all about creating familiarity and, and sort of breaking down a few barriers and getting the conversation flowing. Although there are some some people with whom even talking about the weather Can doesn't be work. You must absolutely. have been to those kind of dinner parties where you, you get, you know, it's the, it's the sort of, it, it's the deadly seat, isn't it? You know it's the one, wrong one to sit in because it's the empty one and you've, you've turned up late. Absolutely. And there's that one person there and, and you try. You know, I went to a dinner party for someone's 40th birthday before Christmas, a person I used to work with at the hospital, and I honestly sat opposite the most boring person in the world. <laughs> and when I get in that situation, I've discovered a sort of trick, which you probably know, Eusebius. I pretend I'm on the radio with the world's hardest interviewee because it's the only way to make the evening sort of in any way stimulating. And I Absolutely. sort of think, right, if I'm on the radio now and I'm live and I've that got no so choice true. but I've got yes. to talk to this person, yes. how do I actually make them interesting? Yes. And Absolutely. I see what I can do. I tried every trick in the book. I reckon she would have given you a run for, a month for your money, this woman. <laughs> and by the time you talk about the weather, that's usually a symptom that you've landed <laughs> the wrong seat. I tried all that. I tried weather. I tried tra travel's a good one. Where have you been around the world? Where's your favourite place in the world? And Normally that gets people talking because yes. they've all got some kind Absolutely. of reaction. This person listed three cities and then and then stopped. And I said, well, um, sh shall I mention some places I've been to that are quite interesting? And I just gave up in the end. I walked off down the table and went and sat with someone else. Now, Chris, I'm fascinated. We've already got lots of calls, as you know, we always do every week. But I, I want us to get a little mm. bit into this story. I mean, I didn't realise that in the US alone, nearly 100,000 people on donor organ waiting list uh, for pancreas. So this research that you're going to share with us, this is, this is mightily important. Well, it's been a really big week for embryology and stem cell research because, and, and you're quite right in highlighting the shortage of donor organs because we know that there's thousands of times more people who need a transplant for anything, heart mm. transplants, liver transplants and so on, than there are organs available. So we need some way of making these organs and making more of them. That's tricky, and we're not in a stage at the moment where you can grow a kidney in a dish. Mm. So in the meantime, scientists are looking at one prospect, which might be, can we grow a replacement body part 
in, say, an animal and then remove it from the animal and put it into the person. Mm. That's a really long way off. I'm not going to announce anyone's done that this week, but there are two interesting papers that have come out which bring us a step closer. Now, the first paper is it's in Nature and it's by researchers from Japan. This is Tomoyuki Yamaguchi and his colleagues. What they managed to do was to make a rat grow a new pancreas for a mouse, which they were then able to implant into the mouse, and the mouse had diabetes, and as soon as they put the pancreas tissue into the mouse, because the pancreas makes the hormone insulin that controls blood sugar, the diabetic problem in the mouse was cured, and the mouse had normal blood sugar for the next 12 months. Hmm. How did they do it? Well, they injected into a very early-stage rat embryo. So this is a ball of cells that, if left to develop, will turn into a baby rat. They injected stem cells from a mouse, and they had tweaked the genetic information in the rat so that a gene called PDX1, which triggers the formation of the pancreas in the rat, had been turned off. Mm. What that means is that the rat can't make its own pancreas, but the mouse cells still have a working copy of that gene. So when the developing rat does make a pancreas, it's made almost entirely from mouse cells. So you get a pancreas that's a mouse pancreas, but working in the rat, and that you can then do the, trans the transplant with. Now, it's a, a long way to say, well, we're now going to start doing similar kinds of things to make new hearts for people. But at the same time, researchers also in Japan took the first steps this week to doing something like this because there's a paper in the journal Cell by another group who have made human stem cells develop in a limited way inside the embryos of pigs. Why pigs? Because pigs are big animals, they're physiologically and anatomically quite similar to people and we therefore regard them as a good model mm. and a good potential donor source for organs going into people. So researchers have begun to take the same sorts of steps, getting human cells to follow the same developmental instructions that are running in a pig and make it work, albeit in a limited way. So it's a pretty exciting week. Mm. Absolutely exciting. Uh, let's go to Pele in Jobek as our first caller. Welcome to the show. What do you want to ask, Chris? Uh, good morning, Sirius. Good morning, Dr. Chris. Good uh, oh, morning. I just wanted to know uh, when a bird collides with the uh, windscreen of a car. Uh, now, I just wanted to know the forces that are at play there because uh, um, my gut feeling tells me that uh, uh, the car will exert a greater force because um, if we were to apply Newton's law, which is that force is uh, mass times acceleration, now we know that the car has a greater mass and it's uh, accelerating faster, so it should exert a, a, a greater force. But however, if a Newton's dead law applies, it says that actually the bird exerts uh, an equal force, but in the opposite direction. But if that's the case, why, why would the bird then sort of um, recoil, or maybe um, uh, after the collision it goes back and, uh, and uh, the car keeps on moving forward? If uh, Dr. Chris can explain for that, please. Mm. Sure, no problem. So let's, let's imagine, you, you, we'll, we'll pretend for now that the bird is not moving because that makes things really easy. So imagine there's a bird just hovering in the middle of the road and you drive into it. Your car comes along at, let's say, 60 kilometres an hour and you hit the bird. Your car is going to accelerate the bird in the direction you are travelling and the bird is currently at zero metres per second in, in the direction you're travelling and you're going to accelerate it up to the equivalent of 60 kilometres an hour as soon as it hits your car. So you're giving energy, kinetic energy, from your car to the bird in order to accelerate it. And so 
it's not a greater step to imagine. Well, if the bird's now flying the opposite direction, it's flying into you, then it's got to slow down its own momentum, going in the opposite direction, and then accelerate in the new direction. So your car is basically giving some of the energy it has, some of its movement, to the bird to accelerate it in the same direction that you are travelling in. The reason that the bird uh, doesn't make the car go backwards is because the car has a lot more kinetic energy than the bird does, mm. and so the car's velocity will drop a little tiny bit. If we could make very accurate measures of this, you would see that the speed of the car would dip a little bit when it hit the bird. Um, because you basically have taken some of the kinetic energy out of the car, which is a half mv squared, and you have added that energy to the bird and accelerated the bird, and that takes some energy, exactly as you were uh, suggesting, and therefore the car would slow down a little bit because the overall energy is going to be the same, but the velocity would be lower because the mass is now greater. Right. So that, that's basically what happens. You've got, you, you're adding some mass to the system and you are accelerating something from standstill to the same speed as your car. Therefore, there'll be an overall drop in the velocity of the car, but it would be tiny mm. because the mass of the bird is so small. Makes sense, even to me as a liberal arts student. Let's go to Northcliffe. Hello, John. Today, I just wanted to ask if the earth is round or flat. Is that Donald Trump? Hello? <laughs> I think he wanted to know why the Earth is uh, round or spherical and not flat. Yeah, I'm not really sure where this whole idea about the Earth being flat comes from, to be honest. Um, Last week, Eugene Cernan, who was the last NASA astronaut on the Moon, died. And uh, we published quite a nice interview with him, obviously, before he died. Mm. And one of the things that he will have experienced, that many of us dream of experiencing, is seeing our planet from space. It is a ball. The reason satellites orbit is because it is a ball. Isaac Newton realised hundreds of years ago that the reason things are able to orbit is because gravity acts through the centre of mass and therefore it's a bit like... If you've got a satellite out in space, it's a bit like swinging a ball around on the end of a string. Mm. Our planet is a sphere. And if we look at other planets out there and we look at the star we orbit, the sun, they are round. There's no reason to think that the Earth is flat, and I'm not really sure why people think the Earth is flat. The Earth is a sphere. Mm, makes sense. Mary, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hello, Mary. Oh, hi. Sorry. Hi, hi, um, Eusebius. Hi, Chris. Um, Hello, Mary. You, <laughs> you, you're, you're sitting in the wrong place at the dinner table because I want to talk about the weather. <laughs> every, every, <laughs> Every time, well, every time I bring up the subject of snowflakes, somebody tells me rather pompously that there are no two similar snowflakes. I don't believe that's possible. With all the millions that fall down to the earth, there must be two that are the same. And also, the second part of the question, is there a finite number of barcodes? (laughs) Well, there will be a finite number of barcodes, Mary. That's certainly true for the simple reason that there's a, there's a limit on the number of numbers in them and therefore the, num- therefore the extent of the barcode spectrum is bound by the numbers. But with snowflakes, I think the evidence is that because there are so many arrangements, it's, it's very, very unlikely you're going to find one with all of those same arrangements exactly the same. It would be excruciatingly difficult to do it, actually. Um, there were some scientists in Canada, and we were talking about this on our Christmas programme on the Naked Scientists, um, 
there were some scientists in Canada who looked at pictures of snowflakes and found that there was a little bit of reporter bias in the kinds of pictures of snowflakes that were being turned over to people. But uh, no, there's, there's, there's not really any evidence that there are going to be two that are the same because there's so many degrees of freedom in how the molecules can organise themselves. Hello, Len. Good morning and welcome to the show. Hello. Good morning to you, Chris. I would like to just ask you what... Um, whether you do believe that marijuana, medicinal marijuana, um, and I can't pronounce it properly, is a cure or a help for diseases like uh, motor neurons and MS and those uh, Alzheimer's. Well, good morning. Uh, this is an interesting issue and one that people have opinions, very strong opinions about usually. Marijuana, uh, when we, what we are calling marijuana, the marijuana plant, when people collect the sticky buds off the stuff and scrape the resin off and burn it, it releases a number of chemicals, some of which, including one called tetrahydrocannabinol, are absorbed into the body and there are receptors, which are chemical docking stations, on almost all tissues in the body which will be fooled into thinking they're seeing the chemical they're supposed to see when marijuana is present, this THC molecule, and it binds to these receptors and changes the activity of those tissues. One of the tissues which is affected is is the brain and the central nervous system. And there are circuits in the brain linked to these receptors, tetrahydrocannabinol receptors, which, when stimulated, affect a range of different functions. And one of them is in your hunger centre. And it's a, it's, it's a reality that marijuana makes you feel hungry. You get the marijuana munchies, and that's why people who use it tend to put on weight. And this can be good because in some cases, if people have got a chronic illness like a cancer, where keeping on weight and having a, diet, a, good, a good food intake can be a challenge, sometimes that can be very helpful. Some of these agents are also quite good at suppressing feelings of sickness. So people who are having chemotherapy or people who have chronic disorders that make you feel sick can sometimes get some benefit from these chemicals. And, and then there's the whole side of pain relief. And there are some conditions, like multiple sclerosis, which are associated with conditions called spasticity, where muscles become stiff and rigid and painful. Under those circumstances, people say that the relaxing effect of marijuana has a strong therapeutic benefit. Now, that's not to be confused with recreational use of this drug, and we do know that it does have some serious side effects. And one of them is that it is linked to psychosis and people who, especially young people who use a lot of marijuana, have an above average chance of being diagnosed with schizophrenia-like manifestations or going on to develop frank schizophrenia later in life. We don't know for sure whether they're just predestined to get schizophrenia and they use marijuana because it makes them feel a bit better because they're not feeling well because they're going to have schizophrenia or, probably more likely, the schizophrenia onset is promoted or provoked by exposure to these agents. So that's one risk factor and one should be cautious about that. There are others and of course many people use these agents by smoking them and it's very very bad for your lungs. Marijuana contains a lot more tar and a lot more carcinogens than traditional tobacco so it's actually even worse than smoking normal cigarettes and it tends to age the lungs a lot faster than smoking normal cigarettes so that's another consideration. So I think as with all drugs there are always side effects, there are positives but there can be negatives and it depends on the situation in which an agent is being used, whether or not uh, it, that the benefits outweigh the negatives. And the other thing to consider is that with marijuana, there are also ways of extracting the chemicals from it and using them as drugs therapeutically, so you don't have to go and eat hash cakes or, or smoke marijuana that you buy on the street. 
You open the doors of perception at your own risk. 22 minutes after 10, you listen to The Naked Scientist. You've got a question for him? Give us a call. 011-883-0702 in Jorzyland. Cape Tonians, you can put a question to Chris on 021 A little bit of a breather so Chris can catch his uh, breath on the other side of this. We've got another eight minutes with him, so enough time to squeeze in a few more of your curious questions. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Hamilton, good morning. Morning, how are you? Very well, thank you. What question do you have for Chris? Uh, my question is, why does the wound inside the mouth heal quickly than any other wound? Let's say, for example, you bite your, you example, bite your tongue or your inside mouth. Yes. Um, the following day, it is healed. But cut your finger, the following, it will take the whole week to heal. Why does it happen <laughs> like that? Lovely question. All Chris? The, the Wonderful observation and, uh, and well done for making it. There's a really good sort of physiological and evolutionary reason why this is the case. Now, if you think about what you do with your mouth, um, I mean, it sounds like a loaded question, but you put a lot of things into it, foreign bodies and rough material, which you chew up and swallow. It's the same in your esophagus, the food pipe down to your stomach. It's the same in your stomach. There's lots of nasty digestive chemicals in there. It's the same in your small intestine, lots of digestive juices and food scraping its way through. Basically, your gut tube, which goes from the polite end at the top to the rude end at the bottom, is used to being scraped and bashed and battered all the time because by necessity you have to put foreign things into it. Therefore, the stem cells that replace the lining of your mouth and your esophagus and so on grow very, very fast by necessity. So therefore, if you injure that site, because it's a site that's commonly injured and it's also possibly a portal of entry for infection, you have evolved to repair that site through this very rapid turnover of stem cells incredibly quickly. Other places in your body, the cells grow slightly slower because you're less likely to injure those sites quite so often and they're less likely to cause a major problem for you than if you can't eat because your mouth is sore and inflamed or you have a bad infection there. So it's one of those things the body's made a toss-up between if I repair this site before this site, it's a bit like getting the traffic flowing on the motorway before the back roads because you'll get more people to work sooner and everyone's happier on the whole compared with if you cure the back road of potholes first and then you make one person's life a little tiny bit easier. So that's sort of the balancing act the body is doing. Mm. From the SMS line, we've got this question from Poitumelo. Hi, you see this? And Chris, I met a woman yesterday who says she's allergic to rain. She says if she gets rained on, her body swells and breaks into a very itchy rash. Her doctor hasn't been able to help. Any idea what could be causing this? I think, didn't you call the SMS line the, the second-class seats or something <laughs> last week? It made me chuckle. I did indeed. But um, th- this might be a condition called aquagenic urticaria. Aquagenic, as in water-making, genic. Urticaria means a histamine reaction in the skin. There are people in the population that seem to have this strange reaction to water and they break out in hives. There's a release of histamine in various points around the body and you get big, swollen, itchy blobs on the skin. And it takes a while for them to go down and sometimes they're made better by anti-inflammatories in the form of things like immune suppression, steroid creams and so on, or or taking systemic steroids. Um, Certainly this is worth seeing a dermatologist about because they may be able to help. Would there be any contact with water? 
Well, it's bizarre, isn't it? Because your body is 60% water and you think, how can I possibly be allergic to water? But there is some kind of, of reaction that happens on the skin in contact with water that drives this reaction mm. in a small number of people. And one person... No, what I mean is for those, for those categories of people... Got it first, in the shower. Would that be true? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Would that happen in the shower as well? Yes, exactly. And one person, every time they went in the shower, they, they got terribly itchy. And, and, it, and in them, it was probably also a thermal effect as well because the water was warm. Mm. But it may well be aquagenic urticaria. And it's, mm. it's rare, but it's known. Mm. Let's take one final question for today. Jeannie and Sophia Tan, good morning. Yes, hello. Is that the naked scientist? It, it might be. Who's asking? My goodness, <laughs> this is so exciting. So exciting to be speaking with him. My goodness. Hello, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm okay, thanks. How can I help? I would like to know, if you smoke an e-cigarette to replace your ordinary smoking cigarette, is it worse because you hear so many conflicting things that, no, you can get popcorn lungs, and yes, no, it's better because there's no tar. So what, what is the truth? I mean, how much research has been done on the e-cigarette? Lovely question. Chris? Yes, indeed. Well, the, the first and foremost, smoking cigarettes is, is really bad and they're linked to cancer in almost every organ in your body. But most people who smoke, and it's a harsh reality, do not live long enough to get cancer because smoking is terrible for your heart and blood vessels. So most people who smoke have a much higher risk of having a heart attack. Um, that's the, the harsh reality. So anything that helps people to cut down on smoking is going to have a very strong effect positively on their health. E-cigarettes, as far as we know at the moment, based on only a small number of years of use and a relatively small number of people using them at the moment, seem to have a lower health risk than traditional smoking. There are a range of chemicals which are present at much higher levels in normal cigarettes than are present in e-cigarettes, and those chemicals are the ones linked to various cancers. So at face value, an e-cigarette is probably a better health option for you than traditional smoking. Beautiful stuff. Chris, thanks so much for all your insights. Appreciate them. We'll do it Thank again you, next Sibis. week. Thank you, Sibis. Thank you. Bye-bye.